get into the weeds. I'm your host, Brian Brown, Integrated Weed Management Specialist with the New York State IPM program. Today, I'm very excited to have as my guest, John Paul Cortens, who uh, I met when he was heading up the farming operations at uh, the Hudson Valley Farm Hub. And uh, John Paul, I, I know you, for a long time you were farming at uh, Roxbury Farm and uh, mm -hmm. now you're, you're at a, a new farm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. So um, uh, I uh, founded Roxbury Farm in 1990 and um, I sold it uh, two years ago. Um, after I was already uh, had left for uh, the Hudson Valley Farm Hub to be uh, the associate director for farm and training there. And um, when I left the farm hub, I also uh, severed my connection with Roxbury Farm and sold my shares in the LLC there. And, um, and Crystal and I, um, we have a house here up north um, in the Southern Adirondacks. Um, and we have a, a small piece of land um, where we started Philia Farm, where our, um, uh, we are growing uh, a small amount of vegetables, uh, maybe an acre, and then another acre of seed garlic, and we do also an acre of research. And uh, so it's about three acres altogether that um, allows us to keep our fingers in the dirt, um, you know, to a certain extent, and, um, and also allowing me uh, time for so many other interests that, that I have. And of course, Crystal still having a full-time job. Uh, it's still quite a bit of work uh, between the two, two of us on the weekends. Okay, great. So very different scales. Did you, did you have to scale down in your tillage and cultivation equipment now? Or? Yeah, so I brought some of the um, precision cultivation with me and I uh, came to the conclusion that I really don't need it. Um, we, um, you know, it's so diverse what we're doing for the local farmer's market and the local food co-op. Um, we're growing such small amount. It's not even worth putting the equipment on if you're on an acre scale. Uh, it's easy enough to, uh, to go out there with a hand hoe or anything like that and to keep it clean. And um, pretty much that uh, the, 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 what we're doing right now on such a small scale is what I would consider zero tolerance for uh, any um, uh, seed rain. So we see a weed uh, that's developing flowers. Uh, we immediately make an effort of pulling it out. So we have uh, very little um, um, weed control to worry about. In the garlic, of course, we heavily mulch it with uh, hay. Um, and then um, the acre of research that we're doing is all rolling and crimping. So again, um, whatever uh, weed issue we have there, we simply don't have the weed control equipment. Uh, we are really counting on the mulching effect of the uh, rye or triticale um, and vetch uh, to provide the, the correct weed control there. So yeah, yeah, very different uh, setup than the scale uh, at uh, the farm hub and all the, all the different cultivation tools. And I guess there, there are some parallels though between small scale and the large scale in terms of maybe number of times that you want to get out and uh, cultivate a certain crop? Yeah, I think there's definitely principles that uh, you follow. And I, I would think that, you know, on a large scale, um, you tend to 
take on road distances that are convenient for weed control. And I think on our scale, um, where we do a lot more things by hand, um, we are doing more the correct plant population whereby you utilize shade a lot more. So if you plant um, relatively close together um, and control very carefully the weeds between those narrow rows by hand, um, there is not a lot of work there. I think that's really where um, there is differences. Yeah, that's interesting because yeah, like with a tractor-based system, you've got to at least get those tractor tires through. So you're talking at least 15 inches probably, right, between rows. Whereas, you know, on a hand scale, it's more like just number of inches that you can get a hoe in between the plants, right? That's right. <laughs> what kind of hoes are you using these days? Oh, I'm still using the same hose I imported from Holland. Um, oh. These are the flat hose uh, that are, uh, um, you know, we call them schoppels in Dutch. Um, they basically go flat to the ground. Um, they are basically like a flat knife um, that you move like half an inch below the surface back and forth. Okay. And then I use the swan hose for in between and getting close to the crops. This is a flat piece of steel that uh, has a very sharp edge on one end, but it has, um, instead of being a straight stem, it has a, uh, a, a, a bent stem on it. So it looks like a traditional hoe, except that it is a, um, uh, it has two sharp edges on both sides. I see. Uh, so me being from Maine with, you know, Johnny's right there and all the Johnny's mm -hmm. tools, I, I got used to the, uh, the oscillating hoe Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, shuffle hoe or stirrup hoe. You ever tried those that, that you can go back and forth and it maintains that aggressive angle, whether you're pulling or pushing? That's right. And I think that the disadvantage, I think, of the uh, scuffle hoe is that that has edges on both sides, so you cannot get underneath the plant. So the advantage of a knife on a, on a stem is that you're able to get underneath the crop. If you're hoeing cabbage or you're hoeing lettuce, you're able to go around the crop underneath the leaves. With a scuffle hoe, you would rip the leaves off the plant. I'm sure you can only go so mm -hmm. close. Um, with a swan hoe, same thing. You, you are able to get pretty close with your one edge of the swan hoe to the plant and get your plants out that way. But I will admit there's also a fair amount of hand weeding that we do. Although it has been interesting, um, hand weeding has not been our main occupation uh, on these uh, uh, acre of garlic and the acre of uh, mixed vegetables. Uh, it's really about, to me, in the prep, um, where we uh, look for um, and, and basically making sure that nothing is going to seed. And uh, when you have short successions of certain plants, by the time that you know you see some of these weeds coming in, uh, it's time to plant a second crop again. So it's a very different approach than saying growing a field crop um, where it's in the ground for the whole season. And uh, at some point, you're just not able to get into it anymore with your equipment and you just let the weeds go to seed and then, you know, um, hoping for some decay of that, but dealing with that in the, you know, in the, in the subsequent year. Right. Ah, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, designing crop rotations, like you're saying, where 
where it's either short season or you know kind of shoulder season so that you avoid those times when weeds are setting seed that's awesome thinking of of principles that are applicable for both small and large scale i i'm assuming that that for both you tend to want to cultivate and control weeds early on and and make sure that they don't get taller than uh, a couple inches when they get much harder to control absolutely i think that's the key and you know um the um the part that is uh, important that I actually like to control weeds in the white threat stage. So um, that's when they're really sensitive. If you are able to um, get the weeds before they even pop out of the soil, that would be ideal, uh, in my opinion. You cannot always do that with your direct seeded crops. That's more difficult. So, uh, for example, we grow some carrots here and um, we will flame weed before we seed and then flame weed right before the carrots come up, um, avoiding having to uh, do uh, any uh, cultivation until the carrots are a good, you know, one inches out of the ground. Um, so therefore not, um, you know, being able to go through there with a hoe uh, afterwards. So there are, um, once, I agree with you 100%, once the weeds get two inches tall, it's, it just takes too much effort and some weeds actually survive quite well, even after you hold them out when they're already two inches tall. So um, early, early weed control is extremely important. And good preparation of a seed bed within that is important as well. Yeah. And um, you know, one thing I like to do is just to kind of root around in the soil and, and just kind of uncover, uh, dig in with my fingers and yeah, you can see those white threads if it's in the springtime, especially early summer. And I know that, yeah, it's a good time to weed, even if I don't necessarily see many above the soil surface, um, which is hard to do, you know, if, if you don't like to disturb the soil unnecessarily, it, it's kind of difficult to bring yourself to do that if you don't see any weeds. Right. How often is that? I, I mean, I guess it's going to depend on the number of weed seeds in a given field in the soil seed bank. But for you, say, say in some of the different fields you've managed over the years, how frequently do you get in there to cultivate? It, yeah, it really depends. Um, and I think um, it, I, would, I will admit, in my opinion, too often. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do uh, admit that I'm a pretty aggressive uh, when it comes to uh, weed control, which means sometimes I make more passes than I would like to see doing. For example, you make a seed bed and you see that there is, um, after you let it sit for a while, uh, if it is dry, you would irrigate the seed bed first to make sure that you get that first flush to come up. And if there is a lot of weeds um, in that first flush, then I get a bit nervous about say seeding carrots in that. So I might want to do a second flush and again, cultivate those weeds out before I actually feel comfortable seeding carrots in that. And then, you know, once the, the carrots, then of course, you know, you do um, your flame weeding um, with the carrots, but with other crops, it's more cultivation. Um, and then there is of course, subsequent different tools that you're using. Uh, initially, it might be um, as simple uh, as a tine weeder followed by, um, uh, hose uh, by a, a cultivation of, um, of a hoe with maybe 
um, if the crop is a little bit bigger with torsion weeders and followed by finger weeders. Um, and so there's, and there's a couple of passes there. It really depends on crop. And if it is a, a tall crop like corn, I might go through there for a last pass with um, a rolling cultivator to heal up those last weeds that survive uh, right in the row with the corn. So it really depends. But I do, um, you know, think that we've kind of beaten the ground up quite a bit in that top two inches. Uh, we've pulverized the soil a lot in order to exhaust um, whatever weeds have come up in order not to compete with your vegetable crop. Yeah, you know, for long season crops like onions, so okay, some growers may only want to get in there once or twice, whereas other growers may try to get in and cultivate maybe up to 10 times. Um, and it, it sounds like it sounds like you might be towards towards the higher frequency end of that spectrum. Oh, yeah, ten sounds uh, like a lot, but if you are if you're including in that seed bed, uh, you know, preparation, actually, how many times do we take a trip uh, of a tractor on that land? Yeah, it could be as much as ten times, um, because it means that it starts with chisel plowing, then um, harrowing then seed bed formation, um, you know, so, and then seeding or planting itself. So there's a lot of trips on that land. Uh, so it is quite violent. Um, and hence we adopted um, really, relatively early on what we call the neutral year, where we are trying to create soil structure again in a subsequent year by not having vegetables in that land because we're so aggressive. And we have such an aggressive uh, approach in the year that we do um, cultivate. And the reason for being as aggressive um, is that whole idea, that notion that my main concern is seed rain, um, that I don't want to, in the year that I'm growing vegetables or even in the year that I'm growing cover crops, I don't want any weed seeds to go to seed because that is just you know defeating on the long term. Absolutely. Yep. And so what would your off years look like? Would, um, would you plant a, a perennial cover crop or, or maybe a rye or some, an overwintering cover yeah, crop it, right after the vegetables? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I follow the vegetables with rye, then generally the, the rye is uh, going all the way to antesis, all the way to flowering, and then it's being cut for straw um, because there is a need for on the farm for a straw for both bedding for the animals and for uh, mulching in say garlic, strawberries, and other crops. Uh, in particular, plastic culture, there's a great need for straw there as well. So um, there's a real place for rye on the farm. And I've always found that if you harvest rye um, from a field, it's very difficult to have a great crop of vegetables following after that. It, it seems that the rye um, tends to um, leave the soil a bit impoverished. Um, that would need to be offset by, by compost or anything else. And most of that actually is a nitrogen deficiency that I'm finding. Um, so mm -hmm. it's not, not always just potassium or other major nutrients that are hampering growing vegetables after that. So I work up the rice stubble, um, or if there is enough soil moisture, you can no-till drill in there right after the rye you're following cover crop. And depending on really what your weed pressure is, if you want an aggressive cover crop or you want a less aggressive cover crop, 
also depends greatly on what equipment do you have to incorporate your cover crop. So people who do not have the uh, access to deal with a very tall cover crop like Crotolaria or Sorghum Sudan, they might opt for uh, things like um, um, black-eyed peas or something like that. Uh, basically, you, you're looking at a, a legume that's going to bring nitrogen back into the soil um, and that is deal that does well over the summer months. So your your peas, of course, are excluded in that. You really have to go for more for a, um, a legume that enjoys the hot weather over the summer. So, and that's, you know, you have a certain choices that you can choose for that. We have always selected Crotillaria. We, we really enjoy Crotillaria. Um, uh, while it takes off um, slowly, um, which could become a problem with competition from summer weeds uh, by mixing it with 10 pounds of sorghum, um, generally that is taken care of. Um, the Crotillaria sits somewhat dormant after the sorghum uh, develops quite aggressively initially. Um, but then eventually the sorghum um, slows down and the crotillaria basically shoots right up by September through the sorghum and does a tremendous amount of inoculation. Um, so, and it is really important that your timing in that is because I've seen um, examples where this rotation was done, whereby there was a tremendous amount of lamb's quarter in that cover crop. So, which is then incredibly uh, self-defeating. So you wanna make sure that your timing and everything else is just correct. And your seed placement, the amount of seed, uh, hence I always use a grain drill. I don't really believe in broadcasting this. Um, I don't really think that that is the right way. Having the right amount of soil moisture available to have the crotillaria and the sorghum germinate, including a right amount of, of warmth in the soil, which generally by the middle of June, when the rye is being harvested, generally that that should be okay. Um, so that that's that's kind of like, and then we let that go through the frost. And um, when the frost has dried this crop, it is easy to then mow it down. That gets done in over the winter, and then that crop is followed by peas or bell beans or a mix of peas and bell beans in the spring, and that is then incorporated by June and followed by a fall uh, brassicas or other fall vegetables. So you're talking about taking that land out of production for um, a couple of um, uh, crops, starting off with rye and hairy vets, then followed by crotillaria and sorghum sudan, and that followed by peas and bell beans. So there are three cover crops before you then plant it back in vegetables. Wow, there, okay. So there's a, there's a number of cultivations that are happening there as well, but you are really building up the soil and allowing you to reduce your nitrogen inputs that you are otherwise getting from compost. But you're exhausting your, your uh, soil also, whatever weed seeds are there by having always a, a cultivation in between these cover crops. Mm -hmm. And so when you then put it back into vegetables, Generally, it's almost like you're having a, you, you had a neutral year where you could really um, 
at least not multiply any more weeds, but also you are, whatever weed seeds were there, they did germinate, but it just couldn't thrive and you couldn't set more seed. That's great. I, I know a lot of folks feel like they've, they've you know, got to squeeze every inch out of their acres and uh, be growing cash crops all the time. Any tips for, for folks in that situation? People can, by growing short-term, like when you grow a crop of lettuce, generally or arugula, um, those are the kind of crops where you should be able to um, harvest the crop before weeds go to seed. So it helps you to get that um, seed bank that you uh, uh, inherently have uh, a little bit better under control. It's really in your long season vegetable crops where, you know, like winter squash, where you see that your weeds are going to seed and that those are to me problematic um, in, in a way. Um, building soil though with vegetables is extremely difficult. Um, that is something that um, I don't have any tips for. So there's two objectives really for the rotation I just described. It's not just about weed control. It's also about building soil structure and um, bringing in nitrogen into your rotation by using cover crops and also, of course, organic matter. Mm. That, that, so there are, there, there's very little, you, you cannot really, you can reduce weeds um, by the selection of what vegetables you're growing. And if you say you grow winter squash and you have no way to take that under, uh, to keep that under control, I would strongly suggest that people switch for at least a couple of years to plastic mulch uh, with wheat fabric in between, whereby, again, you are uh, achieving the same objective. You are able to grow a crop of winter squash with zero weeds um, by planting the winter squash through black plastic and using wheat fabric in between the black plastic. That's a very effective way if there is otherwise no other way for you to have a season where you know you don't have any seed rain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, winter squash. Are there other other crops that like that that um, you would uh, advocate folks use use a mulch on and, and just avoid trying to cultivate altogether? Yeah. Um, it really again. This is one of those things whereby it's um, a price point. So depending on what you can get in your market for say onions or winter squash, you can afford to spend that amount of money on drip tape, on plastic mulch and wheat fabric. I mean, that's a huge investment per acre. So you better get a good value for your crops if that's what you wanna do. Um, I, would, I, would, I will definitely argue that long-term you are, and which is harder to maybe put into numbers, is that you now have a whole season whereby there is no seed rain. And given that most weed seeds have, you know, a, a viability of two and a half years, um, there is another year where there is seed decay in the soil. So over time, you will see the weed pressure, um, you know, diminish. Um, but onions is another crop that um, I would say is a good candidate because also, um, yes, you have good weed control um, with your onions, but keeping even soil moisture, um, uh, they really like growing on muck soil. That one of the great advantages of muck soil really benefits the alliums like garlic and um, 
and onions is that you will see the yield go up uh, quite dramatically than if you are uh, depending on uh, overhead irrigation. Um, but um, depending on how the soil moisture holding ability of your, what of your soil is, but if you're growing on a lighter soil, uh, you see uh, the benefits of growing your onions uh, through a black plastic mulch and you have a better weed control. One tip though, that I wanna give people if they are using plastic mulch is that do not layer plastic the same day that you're planting because um, lay it a week ahead of time and the reason for that being is that you want these weeds right underneath the black plastic to germinate. And if they're sitting under the, under the black plastic mulch, they will grow and then they would develop this white germ, but they don't get any sunlight. If you are laying your plastic mulch the same day as you're planting, you're basically poking a hole through your plastic and you will have immediate competition of the weeds that are germinating um, that moment that you are planting. Um, I, I don't say that you're gonna have uh, absolutely no weeds, but um, if you can lay your plastic a week or a couple of weeks before you plant, you will see less weeds in your planting hole than if you would lay it the same day or a couple of days ahead of time. That's a great tip. Do you have any tips for cultivating between rows of plastic and, and not not catching the edge and, and ripping it up? Or uh, have you tried any of those brushes or using a finger weeder sideways on the edge there? No, we've had, um, uh, we use John Shank's um, uh, hillside cultivator uh, with, um, you know, relatively good success um, if we want to utilize that. The problem with all of these rolling cultivators is that um, they go so deep. And um, we didn't really talk about that very much about when you are cultivating is that you want to go shallow. Well, a rolling cultivator um, brings up new weed seeds from deeper down. So everything looks great after you go through with your rolling cultivator. Uh, if people are familiar with the hillside cultivator uh, that was developed by John Shank, um, which is a nice tool. But the thing though is, is that a couple of weeks later, um, if you have high weed pressure, those edges are going to be just as green as they were when you cultivated. And now the crop that you have on the plastic is so tall that you can no longer go through there anymore. So um, I have not tried the brushes um, that uh, uh, are developed by uh, Cult. Um, so um, that, that might be probably more effective long-term because you're not digging the ground up so deeply. Um, but I have never really encountered anyone who is able to keep the ground in between black plastic um, free of weeds um, all through the season uh, because there is no shade. Uh, there is so much space between the crops that are grown on the black plastic and then the next row over that uh, it's, it's just a, a wonderful environment for weeds to thrive on there. So that's why we have um, always mulched it heavily with uh, rice straw uh, and alternatively use wheat fabric. Okay. How about some of the other tools? You mentioned um, tine harrows, uh, finger weeders, torsion weeders. Um, how do yeah. those compare in terms of um, depth 
and aggressiveness. Do you mm -hmm. have a favorite there? Um, yeah, I think the most effective tool really is a, um, a parallel linkage um, with, with, a, with a hoe on it, uh, basically a flat piece of steel that's a sharp knife um, that goes, you know, with a gauge wheel on it. So if it is, um, if it is mounted as a parallel linkage, so that particular hoe will only go at the depth that you set the gauge wheel on. And then you can follow that, um, and that usually goes in between the rows. You can follow that then with some more in-weed control, like a torsion weeder, it goes very shallow. And then you can follow that again with a finger weeder that also goes very shallow. I would say that setup is still my favorite setup um, for um, uh, weed control in general. Um, but often that is too aggressive for some uh, vegetables. And um, I really still enjoy using a basket weeder, uh, even though um, there is a four inch gap between the baskets. So there's a four inch line where you're not able to do um, any weed control at all until the crop is tall enough. And then you can follow that with your knives and your torsion and finger weeders. Um, but for the initial cultivation, uh, a basket weeder is a great tool. Your tine weeder uh, is a great tool, um, uh, except that again, it, you cannot utilize it in all vegetables. If it is just as aggressive, say, on your direct cedar crop as it is on your weeds, then it is completely uh, useless. But if you are um, planting uh, leeks or cabbage or potatoes, um, the time weeder is a very effective tool and doesn't go very deep either. Does it does it take some getting used to 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 have the the courage to uh, go over your over the top of your crop with the time weeder like that? And and can you talk about your your uh, do you have a favorite speed to run the time weeder at? Maybe seven miles per hour compared to maybe two or three miles per hour for some of these other tools. Is that right? Mm. I generally don't go that fast with the time weeder, but um, maybe more like five or six. But um, I think the, the the thickness of the time has a lot to do with it. And I would say that um, it is important that you're utilizing the settings on the time weeder, both the Lely and the Einbach, uh, they have settings and you can set it less and more aggressively. So there's a tension on there. So you, you go, you know, 30 feet with your uh, tine weeder and you get off the tractor and you start looking at your vegetable crop and you see if, if it pulled it out or not. And if it pulled it out, you go on a less aggressive setting. And, and here is the issue sometimes. Sometimes you have to set it um, so um, mild that it will still leave a lot of weeds in order to not damage your vegetables. So this is where um, you are taking some weeds out, but you're not taking all of them out. And of course, it's completely ineffective on the grasses. Um, it will not uh, take the grasses out. So if you have a lot of grasses uh, that you're dealing with, uh, the tine weeder is relatively useless um, uh, regarding that one. Um, and, and on the other hand, the tine weeder originally developed 100 years ago by Lely uh, was developed for grains because it is, um, it does a wonderful job in your cereals because it, uh, it kind of leaves the grasses and takes out your broadleaves. 
So uh, the depth of the fingers and the torsion meters and the tines, is that, are those all generally, I mean, they're less aggressive than, you know, a hoe um, or a sweep, but are you using them uh, more shallowly than a sweep? Um, no, actually, when I when I said a hoe, I actually meant a sweep. So um, uh, I use sweeps, yeah. But they're flat, so it's important when you because there's a lot of sweeps that are um, lifting the soil up. The sweeps that I'm using that are made by Huck um, are completely flat. So um, that's why I'm calling them knives more than I call them sweeps. There are many different sweeps out there, but the particular sweeps that I use for weed control um, do not lift the soil up. They slice a half an inch to three quarter inch underneath the soil. Okay, so that's your that's your ideal depth then. And with yeah. that different, I know you farmed on some different soils. Uh, can you talk about you know stones or or cloudiness and uh, you know how? how soil conditions might affect your tool choice or the tool adjustment. Right. So, and I would say that if people are thinking of using precision cultivation um, and they have cloudy soil, don't even, don't even bother. If they have a lot of stones, I would say don't bother. It's just not the right equipment for that. These tools are really uh, developed uh, in uh, countries. Uh, that are dealing with 100% uh, stone-free soils that are light. They're lighter soils. Um, so uh, heavy clay soil, it's very difficult to, to work with. Um, with these particular tools, they, they tend to not dig in. Um, so hence the sweep that is flat uh, will just ride over the surface um, because when a sweep has a little bit of an angle, it constantly digs itself in. So here you want a sweep that one wants to constantly do a digging action, and um, but then also start throwing the soil. And when you want an, an, a sweep that is flat, um, you are really working on a soil um, that is more on the lighter side. And generally speaking for vegetables, um, we're, we like to have soil that have a good carrying capacity because it can rain two inches one day and the next day you can get in again. The timing is so incredibly important. If you wait too long, we, we started our conversation of discussing that, is that if you wait too long, it gets so much harder to kill these weeds. So the, the timing is important and therefore your selection of soil is very important. So say you do have the right soil, are there ways that you've found to prioritize cultivating at the right time? Say, say there's rain in the forecast for you know, one day a week. Um, how do you move your tasks around and, and prioritize that weeding when it's gonna be most effective? Um, well, I mean, if, it's only, if, it only, if it rains one day a week, um, I'd like to be able to cultivate a day or two days after rain. Um, I don't like to cultivate right before the rain um, because that gives you the chance that those weeds will regrow again. Um, I'd like to cultivate in the morning if I can. So it gives the weeds the chance to dry out. I like to cultivate uh, definitely on a sunny day. It's just more, much more effective um, to do it on a sunny day. So 
and this has to do then again with scale. Um, I, I don't think you uh, want to have cultivation equipment uh, whereby it takes you a week to get through the whole farm. Um, that would not be, you want to be able to cultivate um, the crops that are, that are in need of cultivation because, you know, if you have a diversified operation, generally speaking, um, there is only a certain percentage of your land that is in need of row cultivation. But you want to plan it out in such a way that you can cover that need within one to two mornings. So you you want to you want to um, uh, be able to scale your equipment according to that. If you grow five acres of vegetables and and the only way you can cultivate your weeds is with a two wheel tractor, you are probably never going to catch up. You're you're at a place where you're going to be needing a um uh you know a, a, a cultivating tractor so and so that that's kind of like where uh i would say that you want to have the right soil moisture for your knives through the soil but not too wet that your the tractor tires cause any compaction so find that ideal moment um because the soil really likes to be worked when it has a certain amount of soil moisture as well. It works way better. Your finger weeders work better, your torsions work better than when it is bone dry or when it is too wet. That's great, good advice. And uh, so say for, what, what was the Hudson Valley Farm Hub, maybe uh, 200 acres or how many, uh, how many cultivators or how many tractor operators would you need to stay on top of that ground? Um, so they ended up um, having an eight-row corn planter and an eight-row uh, cultivator. And then also the initial cultivation, and now we're talking about corn here, field corn, uh, because the vegetables were not at that scale. The vegetables were more at the 20-acre scale uh, that we did with the uh, pro farmers. So uh, we're still based on having a, a cultivating tractor uh, available, whereby we had a front-mounted um, uh, sweeps and then uh, rear mounted uh, finger weeders. And we were able to keep on top of those 20 acres with one cultivating tractor. Also because there was great diversity within the crops and the crops were relatively easy because they were all two rows of 30 inches apart. So you could really move through those crops. Um, you can cultivate uh, about an acre in 20 to 30 minutes. So you can cover a lot of ground um, with that. Now with the corn ground being 200 acres of corn, uh, everything was based on eight row. And then the finger weeder, uh, that was the initial cultivation. I don't even remember, but it was gigantic. It was one of those fold out uh, tine weeders that they had um, that covered a lot of ground and they went pretty fast with that through the corn and the soybeans. Um, but yeah, I think that at a 200 acre scale, they were at, at an eight row cultivator. The uh, thing that I will mention, by the way, about that is that if you have a four-row corn planter, you cannot buy an eight-row cultivator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yes, Rose. <laughs> you're going to have to have an eight-row planter for an eight-row cultivator. If you have a four-row corn planter, you can only do a four-row cultivator. And then you better have two four-row cultivators to be able to cover all your ground. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> then you might want to have two tractors out there. Right. Well, this has been great, Jean-Paul. We've uh, 
So we've hit cultivation, but we've also touched on mulching and cover cropping and weed seed rain and and uh, and rotations and everything that uh, you've said here has been has been spot on. So I'm very happy that you've been able to join us today. Okay. And thanks to the New York Farm Viability Institute for funding this project. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Into the Weeds.